0: This is Interviews with Technical People with John Robertson and James you. a podcast where we interview technical people in
1: STEM fields to discuss the past, present, and future from their perspectives.
0: Our only announcement this week is that this is our very first episode, and today we're joined by Suresh Singh, a technical writer at a company that manufactures ground support equipment for the airline industry. We went to college with Suresh, and he's one of the people who actually helped introduce James and I during our freshman year, so we figured he would be an excellent person to start with. Suresh, we're yeah. excited to have you on with us today. How are you? Thank you. you.
2: I am, uh, first, I'm honored to be your first guest. It's...
0: Yeah, uh, I, it's, it's an honor, and it's a privilege, and it's an incredible help, so <laughs> thank you so much. No problem, yeah. So why don't we get started, Suresh? Uh, why don't you tell us what you do?
2: Sure. Well, as you said, I am a technical writer for a company that manufactures ground support equipment. Um, what that means is we build the trucks that uh, run around on the airports and service planes. So chances are, if you've flown a plane, you probably have been or in contact with one of our planes by one way or another. Not planes, they're ground support equipment.
1: So those are the ones that do like the food service and the fueling as well as the... Uh
2: Right, the lavatory and water service, uh, baggage carts.
1: The baggage carts, the pushback cars, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Wow. The stairs. Uh, so like uh, everything. Pretty much, yeah.
0: Okay. It, are there a lot of companies that build that sort of equipment? Or, or is yours basically the, the big one?
2: This uh, industry is as old as the airline industry itself. Um, there have been many companies in the past. Uh, they're whittled down to very few now. Uh, so it's us and probably a handful
0: of other companies that do this. Interesting. Nice. And, and how old is your company?
2: Uh, they started in 1997. Um, they were originally in Miami. Uh, then they eventually moved up to Fort Pierce, Florida.
1: Fort Pierce, I've been there.
0: So so you, you mentioned a lot of different types of ground support equipment. And, you know, I fly. I, I think all of us have been on... <laughs> Plenty of planes. So can you tell us just a little bit more as far as, so what are the ones that are commonly used? What are highly in demand and and sort of what goes into designing them?
2: Well, there are only about a handful of pieces of equipment and they're all used thoroughly throughout the airline industry. Um, You always need trucks to service the uh, laboratory and water facilities. You always need a belt loader to load and unload baggage. You always need a cart to move that baggage around. Uh, you need a tow vehicle to pull the baggage carts around. And depending on where you are, what the airport has, um, you may or may not need a stair to board and deboard the plane.
0: You company, need- make the, do they make the jetways as well, or is that someone else? That's some what companies,
2: Yeah, some companies do make the jetways. Uh, we do not, actually. Okay.
0: So what are some unique considerations that you need to make when making this type of equipment? I mean, are there certain regulations or requirements that are really unique to your application in the airline industry? There aren't
2: too many regulations. Um, We have to design our vehicles around the the aircraft itself. So depending on the height of the service panels for the laboratory and water facilities, um, we have to adjust for that, make sure that our vehicles aren't too high and they're not too low that they can't drive around on the ramp. Um, For stairs, you have to make sure that they can be articulated to any height to meet whatever Door sill height is out there. Um, that's basically it. Just whatever the plane is
1: uh, spec for, that's what we have to design for. Did, did your company design for certain airlines, or do you just design in general, and then it's customizable or you know flexible to fit the airline that buys it?
2: Well, that's funny you say that. Um, we're actually a, a fairly small company, so we have the freedom to do whatever the customer wants. Um, a lot of the larger companies will say, here's our product, this is what you have, take it as it is. Um, but us being a small company, we have the freedom to kind of build it custom to what the customer
0: wants. So so is your customer the, the airlines or is it the airports or both?
2: It's a combination. Um, it's actually a lot of different things. It could be the uh, the city, the locale. That, that might want to order some ground support equipment for their airport. It could be the airlines themselves. It could be a third-party distributor.
0: Interesting. Nice. And of all the things that you design, Suresh, do you have kind of your your, your favorite one to work with or design or just that, that kind of stands out with you as being unique or interesting?
2: Um honestly i they're all pretty interesting um some things are kind of very basic like we have a, a water cabinet that just sits it sits bolted to the ground and services planes so that's that's not too exciting but still it's interesting the the amount of things that go into it you would not think what's, that there's so a water complicated cabinet? um well instead of having a truck run around and carry water to the plane to refill the potable water system uh it's just a cabinet that sits at the gate and it has a 250 foot hose that you drag out to the plane. To
0: okay. Uh,
1: that makes sense. Do all
0: you right. guys have to take into account the variability of like different airports or even different climates? I mean, you are talking about that, you know, a, a hose that gets strung all this way. I mean, what if you put that in Maine in in January? Right. Uh, right. <laughs> um,
2: the airports are generally uh, built to a certain code. So they're all pretty much the same from airport to airport. Uh, you can't have too many hills and whatnot uh, actually it's got to be pretty level throughout uh, as far as weather yeah that's a major concern of ours uh, a lot of northern climates of course we have to consider the, the you know the possibility of freezing so we have to put in a heating system uh, to keep the plumbing warm or you know to prevent freezing uh,
0: during freezing weather so I, I have a a question that's kind of been on my mind it, it's it's a little bit of an American manufacturing question right so so you guys build all of this ground support equipment and I, I've seen some of it right you, you drive them around they're vehicles right and I know vehicles are very complex machines right there's a lot of components tires engines chassis to what extent do you all do the manufacturing like like do you procure for example the motors of the vehicles from elsewhere and do you assemble them all in your facility I mean how does that go it seems like a very complicated machine that you're building
2: sure yeah that's a good question that not a lot of people actually think about Um, some of our equipment like our laboratory and water trucks uh, we do buy commercially available chassis they're just chassis cabs uh, that just the bare frame and the cab itself and we build the uh, module the service module and put it on top of that chassis Um, Then we also have certain stairs for example uh, we build completely custom. We build the chassis. Uh, we buy an engine from a distributor um, and put it in, and build a stair around it.
0: Are are most of those vehicles? I like calling them vehicles. Um, I work. You like but, the word vehicle? Yeah, it, <laughs> I, I love simple words that are more complicated than they need to be. Are, are they all uh, like gasoline or diesel powered? Like, what's what's the fuel that uses them?
2: It's a combination. Uh, back then, when this first started, a lot of them were diesel, but uh, a lot of the regulations have come into play where you can't have certain types of diesel. that have to be tier four, uh, especially in California. Uh, so now the diesels have been slowly fading out and gasoline-powered equipment are emerging.
0: It, you know, it, it, it seems like one of those applications that would actually be fairly well-suited for electric motors just like how we're seeing to some extent the electrification of our car fleet just because they're always fairly close to maybe what could be considered a charging station right is is there any talk of of doing that going from fossil fuels to to electrical power
2: uh, actually yes there have been a lot of vehicles that have been produced with batteries uh electric motors um i'm not sure if there's a big push to get away from fossil fuels entirely but uh there are a lot of vehicles that are powered by electric, uh, particularly pushbacks. Uh, there's a, uh, one company that, that makes completely their entire business is electric pushbacks.
0: Yeah. I It's, it's something that I, I find interesting kind of, it, it seems like some industries are leading the way in that push, but there's a lot of other auxiliary industries that I'm just curious when they'll also completely convert um, if at all. Um, so interesting to hear that. I yeah, know, know, it's with it's some
1: smaller companies, it's just cheaper and easier to keep using the internal combustion because, you know, it works and it's pretty cheap. and It's, so gas.
0: A, it's such a mature technology. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And all right. I, I have another question, Suresh. So wh- let me ask you this where, so we already talked a little bit about sort of electric motors and so forth, but in, in your, in your perspective, in your mind, where where is this industry going? Where are you seeing it ahead? What what does the future hold? Well, you see it a
2: lot in the uh, automotive industry. Um, everything is headed towards automation, so that's that's pretty much where we're headed ourselves. We're actually toying with that right now, um, trying to get sensors to work with uh, the engine and get everything to talk together. Um, trying to make the, the whole process completely automated. Uh, particularly in in European countries, they're uh, they're moving towards a no touch solution for uh servicing these planes they don't want the equipment to contact the plane whatsoever anymore so they're coming within a few centimeters and they stop just short of touching the plane to avoid accidents and so that's pretty
1: much where we're headed complete automation but how do you how do you fuel a plane and change out sewer and water without touching uh well it's just basically for the approach we
2: don't want um these trucks to run into the planes. And there have been, there are many incidents currently that, uh, where trucks just run into planes because either they're not paying attention or maybe they thought the pedal was the brake pedal, but it turned out to be the accelerator.
0: When that, when that happens, whose fault is that? Is that like the operator's fault or they, do they try to like blame the manufacturer for They'll
2: do an investigation. Um, the company that services the plane will probably take the blame, but ultimately, yes, it is the, the operator's fault.
1: Yeah. And planes are expensive. Like,
2: yeah, they are. They uh, Actually, these companies, the, the ones that service the planes, they take out million-dollar uh, insurance policies for that reason.
0: Interesting. For ground support, equipment, Operators, yeah. Yeah. That's a bad reason to have your flight be delayed. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I wonder how many times has a flight delay that I've been a part of been caused by something like that, right? right? <laughs> some, some sort of issue. on the, and, and that kind of r- reminds me of a different topic right so so often you know you know a very familiar situation is us sitting in the terminal of an airport and seeing everyone scurrying around down uh on the plane driving around this equipment some of which probably you've worked on right um and just understanding how everything needs to to work so perfectly well to keep on that schedule right because that's like the worst thing ever for an airline to have a lot of late flights people track that Sure. Yeah. So do you all, is that a major part of, of your design intent to try to make it efficient, have minimal downtime? Um, To what extent does that play into your design work?
2: Uh, This equipment is is as basic as possible. We try not to make it too complicated. Uh, It depends on the application of course, but uh, like particularly lav and water trucks, it's just basic plumbing, like your household plumbing, Uh, it's just a, a pump that runs off of the uh, a hydraulic system. The hydraulic system runs off of the truck engine. So it's, it's not too complicated um, just for the, the purpose of, you know, th- who's working on these trucks and
0: who's has to use these trucks. Do you ever get to drive around and test drive the, the Oh, vehicle?
2: all the time, yeah. Um, nice. before Yeah, they, they have to be thoroughly tested before they, they go out into the field.
0: Have uh, you tested
1: them though?
2: I have, yeah. Nice. Some, uh, actually all airports have a, a speed limit, for example, and the speed limit is about uh, 25 miles per hour or so. Uh, so we have a, uh, an electronic governor that controls the engine speed. It keeps the engine speed from, going, from exceeding that limit, and we set it to whatever the customer wants, typically 20 miles per hour. So uh, part of the process of, of getting these trucks ready is to test that, that governing system to make sure that it does indeed keep the, the speed down. So yeah, I have on
1: many occasions tested these. I I love the process of trying to break things to prove that it works. Right. Well,
2: it's better to break it in the factory than have it break out in the field.
1: Absolutely.
0: I'm 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 fascinated by this concept of there being a 25 mile an hour speed limit in a lot of airports. Yeah. And I just, I the first thought that that came to my head was, does that include the plane? (laughs) (laughs) Just the servicing equipment. Just the service, because well, also, so when the plane has to turn around after it when it's being docked at its gate and then turn around to face the runway there's a little vehicle that that latches onto its front wheel and pushes it do you guys make that as well yeah the pushback the pushback
2: right. uh, we do not but on that note there are a couple different ways to to do that pushback um operation there's um, a vehicle that actually picks up the the landing gear of the plane and drags it out wherever it has to go and the other is the traditional method is where they use a, a tow bar. So they connect to the, the landing gear and the landing gear connects, you know, to the, the pushback vehicle through that, that tow bar. Uh,
0: maybe I missed it. Well, so I, I, think, I think I've seen that one where there's a, like a linkage right. Right, between, the, between the, the front landing gear and the vehicle. What was the first one?
2: It's, it's the vehicle itself just picks up the landing gear.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they wedge under the front wheels right. under it, so the front wheels aren't touching the ground, but the truck is. Like a is. tow truck? Yeah. Like a big tow truck? I've seen a few of those. Huh. I don't think I've seen that. Interesting. It, it might have been in Europe. I don't remember where, but I, I know I've seen it once or twice. Yeah. Is, that the, is that the hot new thing?
2: Uh, it's not the newest thing. Uh, they it, Like I said, they have a mixture. They do one or the other. It depends on the customer and what they're willing to pay. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: they I, fancy bet, one. I bet the linkage um, pushback is a lot cheaper <laughs> a little bit cheaper um let's uh let's take a moment now because one thing we want to hit in in every episode is a little bit of how you got to where you currently are um sort of how does one become uh, a, a technical writer for for a company of this sort um, what was your path? Where did you go to college? And and it's funny because James and I know this answer because I think we were with you every step of the way. Uh, for college. I'd say so but, too, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in your words, why don't you just tell us what your path looked like?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, yeah, just in, in high school, I've always dreamed, or even before high school, i dreamed of being in the space industry, just anything to do with space. So um, the best thing is to go into aerospace engineering. Um, and my family has been looking to move to Florida for a while. Uh, and right where we are is pretty close to where I went to school. So that's kind of what led me to the Florida Institute of technology.
1: I, I, that's a, that's a good school. I've I heard that's good things about school. it. Yeah. 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 You, you approve. you've heard of it. I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> heard of
2: it. Sure. Um, so yeah, I went to Florida tech to, to pursue a degree in aerospace engineering. I forget that's the best thing to get me into the space industry. Um, so I did my degree, uh, graduated a little bit later than most. Um, then I sat at home for a while, like a lot of people are doing now. Um, it's tough to get a job nowadays. It's the market's just completely flooded with people with degrees. It's just a different world. But, um, I sat around, I eventually discovered the, uh, Florida state has a, an employment agency sort of, um, I guess every state has this, uh, so I took some interest in it, and uh, eventually they introduced me to the, uh, the company that I work for now. I guess they have a partnership with them. They get some people in, and it's all about numbers. They move people in and get numbers for budgets and whatnot. But I was a product of that, which I'm not upset about completely, but it's, uh, it worked out. <laughs> Can't complain about things working out one way or another. Um, So I ended up doing technical writing for this company. Um, At first, I didn't use anything that I learned in school uh, from aerospace engineering, but uh, eventually they kind of saw that I had potential, so they introduced me to more engineering work, and now I'm doing a little bit more than I was before. Uh, I'm doing less technical writing and more
1: engineering. But, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up there. I say aerospace engineering is... A branch of mechanical, which kind of makes sense in this, I would think.
2: Right, yeah. A lot of the work they do is mechanical engineering.
0: Yeah. So on, on that note, Suresh, I, I just want to ask you a question. So th- thanks for that background. And uh, so as a technical writer who's more and more growing into uh, an engineering role, what does is, what is a day in your life at that company look like? What are, what are some of the daily things that you work on to make these vehicles?
2: Well as a technical writer I'm in charge of updating and even writing brand new uh, instruction manuals for operating these, these units um, operating maintaining servicing. Um, in addition to that I do instructions uh, not a, well, I do instructions and uh, installation instructions particularly. Uh, for infield or even in the shop. Uh, I also take pictures of things uh, just to document uh, new changes or things like that. Um, as far as the engineering goes, uh, if there's something small that I can make that's not super important, like a little bracket, they'll, they'll let me design a bracket. Uh, I'll do the drawing for it. Um, a little bit more now than before, they've been letting me actually write the program for, say, punching these brackets. Um, punching is just one of the processes that, that they go through to build a bracket. Essentially they uh, they cut a piece of metal down to size, they put it through this machine kind of looks like a big stapler and what it does, it has several different hole punches uh, different sizes it punches per the program uh, comes off of that machine and they take it to the brake press and they bend it up to whatever angle it has to be and they'll move it on to the next process if it gets welded it goes on to welding or if it goes straight on to the final assembly process where they actually put it onto the vehicle
0: This is all done in house? All in house You guys must have a lot of custom brackets
2: Oh yeah we, uh, One of the running jokes is that the, uh, the engineer is just a, he makes brackets all day <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, wh- Why is that?
2: Uh, well, I touched on this earlier, uh, being a small company, we'll basically build a truck to the customer specification, whatever they want, we'll we'll do it. So we oftentimes have to do things a little bit differently than usual. So that's
1: why we need different brackets. I remember when I was on my high school robotics team, and it felt like for a couple of weeks, I was a custom sprocket maker. <laughs> we, were just, we were making more and more sprockets, and I just sat there doing it. It, was, it wasn't terribly interesting, but it was what? useful, you know, and exactly. it had to be done. So. <laughs> You got to make brackets. You make brackets. Yeah,
2: that's pretty much it.
1: You
0: got to start so, somewhere. So when 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 you're making these custom designs, what what changes besides the brackets, or is it really is that like the the, the meat and potatoes, right? Something changes. You need a new bracket uh, to make a custom order. Uh, yeah, it's
2: it's not necessarily brackets that, that have to be changed. Um, sometimes, uh, well, well, the biggest thing, um, uh, particularly on laboratory and water service trucks, we have. A fluid pumping system, so we pump water or some kind of solution uh, from a holding tank on the, the truck into the plane. Uh, originally, we had the plumbing on the opposite side of the heating system, and for whatever reason, I guess because that's the only way it could fit, uh, then fairly recently, about a year or so ago, we had to figure out how to move everything to the other side so that everything is under the heat. Um, so yeah. That's where the bracket thing came in. But um, in addition to the brackets, you have to figure out how to build support structure for that, make sure that everything is supported. Uh, You have things to bolt to. Um, So pretty much, if it needs to be changed, we'll kind of investigate a little bit. Uh, Sometimes it comes down from the the customer. They say, uh, we would like to see this change in the truck, so then we'll take that and run with it.
1: Interesting. Um, I was wondering, are you the technical writer for the company, or are you part of a technical writing team? Or? No.
2: Again, being a small company, uh, I am the only technical writer. And yeah.
1: I, touching,
2: I, touching on the engineering, we have only one engineer. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: That, that's a small operation.
2: It is. It's we, uh, less than 50 people. Last I checked, it was 37.
1: I, oh. I interned for a company a while back that I get to know the technical writer they had there and they sold a a handheld device. And I found it interesting that as the technical writer, she had to know that device as well as anybody. And so she just spent a lot of time playing with it and using it and get to know it so that she could write well about it. And I, I I thought that was kind of, yeah, that's exactly,
2: that's exactly my experience. Um, being a small company, you have a lot of freedom. They don't really question what you're doing at, at every minute. So uh, I'm free to roam around um, to look at these things. And, and like you said before, I get to drive the equipment. Uh, I get to play with the equipment, see what it, uh, how it operates. Um, and you kind of have to do that to effectively test, uh, be a, a good technical writer. You have to know the, the product inside and out.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I just love this image, Suresh, of you like wandering around the manufacturing floor, like talking to all these guys, like asking like, hey, like, like, what's new with this part? You know, <laughs> what, what what's what's relevant for what you're trying to do? Um right. which is communicate how you use it. Um that that actually sounds kind of fun. <laughs> well
2: yeah, some days are better than others, but yeah.
0: So so like often when I'll look at product documentation, there's like the user guide and then there's the the kind of maintenance guide. Are you, do you have to do both of those? Because they're, they're kind of at different levels, right? One's just how to operate the equipment. The other is a much more in-depth manual. So one's pretty
1: and one's full of meat and potatoes. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: well, these things are, they don't really change too much. So uh, most of the work I do is just updating. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just building on what was previously there or changing it a little bit. Who wrote all, all the better. initial
0: stuff? What was that? Who wrote all of the stuff that's already in place? Did, did you, you write it?
2: Several, okay. several people. And <laughs> you can tell.
0: <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, you can tell. Good. <laughs> do you try to make everything perfect, or do you just get it good enough?
2: Um, I have always been a perfectionist, so yeah, I have tried to make them all consistent. Um, it's not an easy task. There are a lot of different manuals for different equipment, so... Trying to get it all to look the
1: same is not an easy thing at all. Do you have to do any graphic arts as well, getting you know images in and created and all that sort of stuff? Uh, not too much. I do
2: a little bit of light Photoshopping. I self-taught, yeah. but barely know it. I know enough to get in trouble, as they say. Um, I do work with drawings. Um, I can have the ability to, to pull drawings or to, you know crop whatever I need.
1: Um, and I can put that into the the manuals. What program do you use for writing? Is it all Microsoft Word or is it some sort of more complicated program?
2: Uh, We are very basic. So we do Microsoft Publisher. Uh, Okay. find out in the industry they actually use XML. Everything is XML based. So it's kind of like a web interface.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: And when you first started that job of being a a technical writer, did you feel... Did you feel like the training that you got, and you already touched on this, that you got basically in college was adequate for what you were trying to do or was there a lot of on-the-job learning, so to speak?
2: A little bit of both. Um, Writing all those lab reports in school helped a lot. That's basically what I do now. (laughs) It's just one big lab report. I guess it is. Um, But yeah, a lot of it I had to learn on the job. This is a very particular industry. It's not like you can go to school for ground support equipment. So everything you have to learn on the job.
0: Are there like conferences of people who build ground support equipment that you go to? There are
2: conferences. I am not. Of that. Or
0: technical writer
2: conferences, technical writer conferences. Uh, no, I no. don't participate in those. Okay. I, I missed how, how long have you been with this company? Uh, three and a half years.
1: Okay. You can get to know it by then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I just want to touch on some of the other vehicles again, because I, I find those are really um, interesting. If, if you could if you could take a guess, like what's the most complicated vehicle that you guys make?
2: Uh, the most complicated?
0: And I know it's very subjective.
2: Yeah, it, again, it, it depends. Uh, our laboratory trucks can get complicated, uh, especially for one particular customer. Uh, Air Canada, they want a lot of... Uh, options on there. They want a, uh, for example, a float switch that stops the pump when the uh, fluid tank gets low. Um, one big issue is that people tend to run these pumps, the operators, they they don't know that they shouldn't do this, but they run the pumps and it causes capitation issues and it destroys a several hundred dollar pump. So uh, Air Canada, they one of their options that they always get is a float switch. It's a simple, basic switch that shuts off the pump, just interrupts power to the
1: pump. That's what's in my toilet. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. A little bit more uh, complicated than that. Well, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Same idea. Same idea.
2: Um, so,
0: yeah. So you called it a lavatory truck, right? Right. So that's that's the one that, that transports the, the the material from the septic tank to whatever is the – wherever they store it in the airport, right?
2: Right. The, uh, the industry term is uh, the product, they call it. They product. The product. product. <laughs>
0: I mean, it, I, I, I find that one fascinating, and I know this is true for all of them, but that vehicle has to work. The product has to work.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it has uh, two separate tanks, sometimes three, depends on what the customer wants. Uh, one tank empties the lavatory. Uh, that's of course, has to be the biggest tank. Uh, the other tank can be split in two. Some people like to have a freshwater tank solution tank, which is just basic uh, water, tap water. They as uh, the, the uh, aircraft laboratory and that dumps into the, the waste tank again. And the other tank would be the blue solution tank, which is what you see in all the uh, porta-potties, the blue water. Uh, so that they, they refill the, the solution in the, the aircraft.
0: Interesting. So so half of the vehicle has a tank for emptying out the lavatory, and then there's another half of the tank that fills it up with the blue solution. Right. right? Interesting. So you only need one vehicle for both. Empty out yeah. and fill up.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. wondering if they would do separate or same vehicle for that. Oh, yeah. Same vehicle. Okay. Just uh, with a with a good barrier between the two. And yeah, separate, they're completely separate
0: tanks. And separate they're hoses. Re- right. Different hoses. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: The, the hoses are clearly clearly
2: distinguishable. One is a, a big blue four-inch hose, and the other is a, um, a three-quarter-inch
0: hose, or actually one-inch. Why do some customers want to flush out the tank and, and others not?
2: It depends on what they prefer. Um, some people don't see the need to have to rinse it with clean water. They just prefer to rinse it with the blue solution. Maybe there uh, it, it has something to do with cost.
0: Huh? I'm just curious if there's some I don't know some reason as far as it like reduces smells in the aircraft. Although it's never really smelled <laughs> any time I've used it, <laughs> or or helps the tank not corrode. It's curious to me.
2: Like, it, it, it's probably mostly due to cost. They probably don't want to use their, their blue solution
0: purely just to rinse. Oh, so oh I see. I think I missed that part. So the blue solution's the more expensive. Fresh water, they still do a rinse with the blue solution.
1: Right, they,
0: yeah. I see. Okay. Hmm. And then there's a separate tank on the on the aircraft that has blue solution, right? And then that, that it flies with that and uses it to flush. Yes. Interesting.
2: And then that empties into a holding tank. All
0: right. I don't know how much you know about this, Suresh, but can you – if this isn't your your area of expertise, let me know. But how on earth do those toilets in the airplanes work? (laughs) (laughs) When you press that flush button, I don't know where that material goes. Yeah, that's
2: that's common. Um, It's all a vacuum system. Uh, Everything is self-contained. They used to, a long time ago, just dump it out wherever they were. But now, because of a lot of regulation, it has to be held in the tank.
0: They would um, dump it from from a long flight? time ago. Yes, I, I'd heard of that. Yeah, just there's a hole in the there's
1: a hole in the floor, and it scatters on the earth. How long ago? Was a long time ago. <laughs> well,
2: when the airlines first took off, you know, fifties, sixties, or whatever—not fifties, but sixties, seventies.
0: I hope they didn't dump it over like the city, the suburbs. Well, wow, that's where knows? you are when you hit the flush button. It, it like gotta go. go. You gotta go. I guess so. Yeah.
2: But now they have gotten a little bit wiser. Now they require everybody to hold the particularly the waste. Uh, things like gray water, they'll just empty out through the,
1: the
0: port. Uh,
1: that's that's fine. Gray water being from the sink, they'll just still dump
0: gray water. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, also thinking about it, so aircraft they fly at what thirty thousand feet. Yeah, I mean, that I wonder, does that water even make it to the ground at that altitude? Ah, uh, vaporize.
2: It's probably vaporized. I think right. the uh, the ports are heated. keeps them from freezing up there. So
1: Yeah, huh. I bet I bet you know in the old days when you're with your product it being solid probably made it down,
0: but Yeah. <laughs> well
1: that- <laughs> <laughs> I mean your hand washing solution have no problem, yeah.
0: I don't know, it might evaporate. <laughs> um Okay, so it's a so it's just a total vacuum system and you open the little flap and there's
2: Right, it just sucks it into the, the holding tank.
0: And so the whole holding tank is kept at negative pressure. Right. During flight and then you just open this up. Op- wow, that's a very simple system. Huh. Interesting.
1: I mean you gotta then- say you gotta say weight, you don't want to make it complicated. Well that's what I'm wondering. Like
0: you know, from an airline perspective, I'll bet it's very advantageous to not have that holding tank, right? I mean, how much how much fuel could you save by not having to tow around on how much what believe the- it or not,
2: these tanks are not that big. They're only about thirty gallons or so. It depends on the plane, of course no. the size of the plane.
1: Yeah.
0: Really? That's nothing. Yeah, I know.
1: If I'm going from Maine to New York. You know, I don't know if, Hopefully I can hold it that long. I don't need yeah. a big tank.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> 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 um, interesting. Um, I,
1: was, I was curious what the blue solution is made of.
2: Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, it's a, some type of sanitary solution. It does contain some element that does keep odor down. Um, uh, it, it, there's
1: some people call it a D germ solution. So it probably has some antibacterial properties. Okay. Do you have to worry about it corroding tanks and whatnot or, you know, in the stuff that you build, or is it just as well everything we as water? Uses, yeah. Everything we use is, is pure stainless steel. Um, it okay. has to be stainless steel for corrosion resistance. That makes sense.
0: So I have another question. Um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of obvious that this has a really big impact on people. And that's one of the things that we that we want to kind of touch on with this show, right? Is but it's, the a work- hidden, it's a hidden impact as well, which is it's, kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Not a lot of people think about what happens to the, the toilet water after they flush or what yeah. happens to their baggage. They're just wondering, where is it?
1: Yeah. I, I, I see these machines every year and I
2: never thought about them. I, I always saw them driving around. Yeah. Nobody gives them a second thought, but we are the ones that build them.
0: So let me just ask you another question though. So we know that the airlines are kind of in a weird spot right now with like air traffic going down and, and, uh, because of the virus and all that stuff. Is there anything, are there, are there any big shifts happening in, in your industry because of all that? Or is it just more of the same, but at a lower rate?
2: Uh, yeah, there are huge shifts. Um, well, for us personally, we had a huge layoff a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually a month ago now. Um, some people are probably going to get out of this business altogether. It depends on the size of the company. Some people can weather it. Some people can't.
0: Wow. So the ripple effects are enormous then is what I'm hearing of. of Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because I know I we hear orders and this is kind of more on my side of the industry. We hear, we hear uh, talk about airlines canceling orders for planes, but I'm sure it's also true. They're also canceling orders for your type of vehicles. All right. Interesting.
1: So it's already that quick that they're not buying. You're not building. Almost really? instantly. Yeah. Really? It, phone stop ringing as much as it used to.
0: Wow. Yeah. Are there any plans in work to try to, to try to use this as maybe an opportunity to try to make a big improvement? Like you mentioned, probably a lot of your designs are, are pretty well established, right? They've been around for a while. Right. I mean, are are there any big ideas on the table? Like, oh, like what if we combine like the lavatory truck with like the stair truck, you know, (laughs) and get one vehicle for two vehicles for the price of one? um, Well,
2: yeah, there's plenty of time for imaginations to run wild. Um, But in the process of of trying to stay afloat, we are taking on a lot of small tasks or Mm. wherever we can find them, Um, so we don't have too much time for product development. Um, I did touch on this earlier about the automation thing. Uh, It's an ongoing uh, project that we've been working on that's not quite anywhere near finished, So uh, we're slowly working on that on the side.
1: Is your your company mostly assembling? I mean, are are most of the employees assemblers, or is it a lot of it product design? It's it's a mixture.
2: We don't do too much design anymore. Uh, We only have the one engineer, so he does all the design if there needs to be anything. Uh, engineered. Um, yeah, I never mentioned this the, the whole process of how it becomes a finished product, but uh, everything comes in as raw material uh, sheet metal, metal tubing, angle, uh, raw material. Uh, it goes through what we call break and shear. Uh, so everything gets cut down to size. Um, if it has to get bent up whatever angle, it gets bent. Um, it gets punched. Uh, as I mentioned before, it uh, needs a certain hole pattern. Uh, After it moves through break and shear, it goes off to welding. Uh, Some things get welded, some things don't. Some things are just finished uh, items that get bolted on. So they'll move to the last stage of the process. Um, After welding, it all moves over to what we call final assembly. And that's where we've got about, we used to have about 10 guys that would build the vehicles, they'd assemble everything in shop.
0: So, throughout this whole process, you're probably very much involved, right? Because you're taking notes and incorporating them into um, the documentation, right? Um, right. Interesting. So you probably know like all those people who work down in those various those various components, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I get to walk around and talk to them and see uh, how they would do something, so I'd be able to translate that into a technical writing piece. Interesting,
0: And as things slow down, you mentioned that you're going to, that kind of people are doing other things to get busy. Um, is there any talk about, um, you know, I, I, maybe this is what you mean by, by keeping busy, kind of expanding the product line?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, the funny thing about our industry is nothing really original. Um, something is always a copy of something else. Um, surprisingly, it, there are no legal issues there. But, um, yeah, we're always looking at what other people are doing and trying to, you know, work that into our product. And I'm sure people are doing the same thing for our products.
0: Is there anything about the future of this industry or anything in general that just gets you really excited as far as where it's headed?
2: I go back to the automation thing. Um, Everything is going
1: to be all sensors and computer controlled.
0: Yeah. It's going to take
1: some engineering to get that up and running.
0: Yeah, do you think that's something that you'll – be able to lead?
2: I'm actually self-proclaimed a leader, I guess. I don't know. Well, they, congratulations. Uh, yeah, they, they tasked me with that since I'm a young kid, so I'm supposed to know everything <laughs> about computers.
1: Yeah, I remember when that happened at work.
0: I mean, you, we're, we're just going to show up one day and it's going to be like an AI network controlling autonomous yeah. laboratory trucks just driving around on their own. I'd be like, man, who did this? Yeah. It was, you. It was me.
2: I, I did it all. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not easy. Uh, I've never done this. So I'm, it's a learning experience. Huge learning curve.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, I think we're kind of nearing the end of all the questions that we had. So I think we just want to take this time to, to, Suresh, give you any more time you want to uh, take to give comments on uh, this field or, or what you think uh, might be excited about working in it. Um, and.
2: Well, I'll touch on careers in general. Uh, yeah, please. You might, you might not, you know, everybody has an idea of what they want to do when they grow up um, or what field they want to go into. Um, but I've, I've learned from personal experience that it doesn't always quite work out that way. Um, you might have this idea of what your life would look like, and it turns out to be completely different. Uh, so you can't get stuck on, on the fact that you're not where you're supposed to be. Um, just remember that. Maybe it's part of the process. Maybe you're, you'll get there by one way or another. Uh, that's pretty much what it, where I am right now. So I haven't given up on getting into the space field yet.
0: It seems like you have a really good attitude in that way. Like, you know, you, you're not like building some sort of, you know, deep space vehicle. But you are working in the aerospace industry and learning a lot. Uh, right. It, it, is,
2: it is part of the aerospace industry.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good lesson for a lot of people, which is that you know just take advantage of all these opportunities that you're given, um, because I'm I'm sure, and you even mentioned it, right? You've learned a lot in, in the three or so years that you've been there.
2: Yeah, like I said, it's it's a specialty industry. It's not like you can go to school for ground support equipment.
1: I, I found that in my work as well is kind of specifically what you do. Most of the time, there's never a degree for it. You kind of get the, the baseline and then, you know, you learn your specific field. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that that makes sense from what I've seen.
2: Right. And you can always apply it to something else.
0: Right. Do you do you feel like it's in the cards for you to try to go, like, get a get an advanced degree to try to get a leg up on some other part of the industry? Or do you like the idea of just working to get experience?
2: I am of the type that doesn't really do well with academics. so I don't think a, uh, a graduate degree is in, in the cards for me. Um, I will probably have to get it all from experience.
0: Interesting. And you've already done well with that, so I guess to some extent that makes sense. I remember <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm having these flashbacks to when you and I would spend like long Saturday nights just doing work and it's still kind of a running joke of ours. Um, I know exactly where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I don't know, just what one thing that I I'm I'm also hearing from you is that just like kind of hard work works um, that you were able to find a position that has also been a teaching opportunity for you.
2: Sure, yeah, you can't uh, have a defeatist attitude.
0: Um, if it yeah. doesn't work
2: out your way, there's always some other way. It's You never know where life will lead you.
0: Yeah, and I think also just like wherever you get paid to work, like that's where you give your effort and your attention. Right. And, and this give your 100% is, effort.
2: This is my first professional experience, so of course I'm going to give the best effort I can.
0: Yeah, awesome. All right, well, uh, any, any parting advice, Suresh?
1: Oh, that was all. Just, uh, you know, keep looking. Should
0: Should we go through the, the canned questions that we have? You know, that's a great question. We've already hit a lot of them. The one that we didn't hit that we need to hit is <laughs> actually number one on the list, Suresh. And I'll tell you what, we gave this to you ahead of time. So you have all the time to, to get your answer. Okay. Suresh, yes. what is your favorite pizza topping?
2: Wow. That is a profound question. <laughs>
0: there's this only is, one right answer by the way <laughs> <laughs> this is not like an opinion question
1: I know Suresh, I know, Suresh grew up in New York but I mean not everybody's a pizza snob right right um, Yeah,
2: I, I love your the traditional New York pizza uh, just cheese plain cheese but um, this is a debate that always happens on whenever you have pizzas what do you want on the pizza um, I love vegetables so it's got to be all the vegetables whatever vegetable pizza they have it's not just one topping; it's just a category of toppings. the the, the,
1: the veggie The veggie
2: pizza. I feel like yeah. that's
0: a very political answer. Like, who's going <laughs> to strongly opposed that? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. Well, the <laughs> meat lovers okay. for one.
0: You're you're going to go be like better than me and have your vegetables on your pizza, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, you you started off with the right answer, by the way, of just plain cheese pizza. Um, yeah,
2: but that's, you cannot beat a plain
0: cheese pizza. That that is. The, yeah, the, the correct to- answer is that that's the that's the best topping. Cheese and tomato sauce. <laughs> with no substitutes.
1: Uh-oh. I don't
0: have a strong opinion, but I don't know if I agree. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost wondering if we should lead off with that question in the future. Right. Uh, well, you know what? We recorded it. Suresh, you can't take it back.
2: It's an answer box.
0: Well, that's about all the time we have here. Thank you so much, Suresh, for again volunteering to be uh, the first person that we have on the show. Well, James, thank you, you yeah.
2: I'm
1: honored again to be your
2: first guest.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it seems like we, I don't know, I don't
1: know if we did this on purpose, but this is interviews with technical people, and Suresh is a technical writer. So
0: I think we at least uh, did what we were supposed to do there. It's in the name. So It, is, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I think this is really great. And uh, Suresh, again, just thanks for your time. Maybe we'll have you on again sometime. Uh, but uh, we wish you the best of all luck in your future and and with uh, keeping the airline industry going. Hopefully, things tick up a little bit.
1: Sure. Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you.